Uh, to the tech people, I'm not using the slides at all. The Holy Spirit just hijacked the whole thing. So just, uh, I, I, told, I told someone earlier today that I normally don't use slides when I teach on a Sunday morning or keynote conventions. Not that I don't want the Holy Spirit to be free during breakout sessions, but usually you chose to come to that. You're expecting a certain thing to be covered, and I feel a little bit more obligated. We are going to talk about resiliency. I'm just uh, flipping the order. So uh, just wait a second. And then they're like, do you really work in the ministry? Um, or do you just like to travel? I'm like, no. No, I do like to travel. You know, some people, they'll be like, aren't you tired of cars and hotels and restaurants? And what I would honestly say, 31 years into this, 30 countries in all 50 states, I'm extremely privileged. When God called me to this, he called me to more than the microphone moments. He called me to all of it. And so he, he equips me for all of it. And I pray that that would be your testimony as well, that he called you to all of it. And, um, and I, just, I just feel I want to say that. I've been asked to address resiliency, and we're going to start here. Jesus Christ, my living hope, therefore... Somebody finish the sentence for me. No microphones, just shout it out. We sang powerfully, like you meant it, Jesus Christ, my living hope, therefore I live, therefore I'm free, therefore I'm secure, therefore I can what? I can do more things? All things? I can, I have a future? I'm healed? I have peace? Purpose, freedom, courage, life, acceptance. Wow. Wow. Say wow. God is the everlasting God, therefore, God is the everlasting God, therefore, I serve Him. God is the everlasting God, therefore I fear him. God is the everlasting God, therefore I have a future. I, I honor him. I live. He's always there. I trust him. Wow, I spend eternity with him. God is the everlasting God, from the words of a child, therefore he won't give up on me. He won't get tired of my questions or my needs. God provides for me. He has given me time, talent, resources, people to help me, and even forced me to rest when I was sick. Here's one. God is my peace. Therefore, I have no fear. I don't have to worry. I can rest. I can have joy, hope, a sound mind. I can have wisdom. 
I don't have to strive. God is my peace. I don't need to worry. He can take care of emotional turmoil, messy relationships, my physical concerns, and the intellectual confusion I'm dealing with. Here's one. Jesus is the light of the world. Therefore, thank you. Jesus is the light of the world. Therefore, yes. Jesus is the light of the world. Therefore, say it again. I've been, I've been restored. Thank you. Jesus is the light of the world. I fear no evil. I can see. I'm forgiven. I can live like it. I tell others. Jesus is the light of the world. I don't have to live in the dark. Jesus can show me the way out of my dark place. Jesus is an indescribable gift. I don't deserve Jesus' sacrifice, and there's nothing I can ever do that would earn it. It's a gift. He's a gift. I can relax and stop performing. Here's one. Jesus is my authority. Therefore, oh, I listen. Jesus is my authority. Therefore, he's my redeemer. I follow him. He's my source. I obey, I will forgive. Wow. He takes care of me, I can breathe. Jesus is my authority, I need to humble myself, ask him for help, read the word, pray for wisdom, and follow his lead. I've been concerned about resiliency for a long time. It, I've told you, I think earlier today, it's my new book coming out in August. And I did, you know, there's a lot of books written, so sometimes I feel like, why do I need to write yet another book? I end the book with an entire chapter about spiritual resiliency. What can we do that would cause people to not give up on God? The definition of resiliency is recovering readily from difficulties. Resiliency is bouncing back from defeat, trauma, discouragement, disappointment, loss. Resiliency is coming back. It's not always a quick bounce back. It's a coming back. It's a standing back up. It's actually a bouncing forward, past where you were when you first fell down. Resiliency is a process, right? Takes a while. That's why you, like I, I will pray for you for 50, 52 weeks, patience. Because what we're asking from people is not automatic and easy. It's a process. Depends on optimism. And we live in a pessimistic culture. Oh, for you to be the bright light. For you to be the hope that shows them the true source of your hope. Resiliency. Ideally, it becomes a part of our character. Resiliency, bouncing back, coming back, bouncing forward, not being defeated and defined by the trauma. Like, I, I really started working on this book during COVID. I did a high school graduation, and I just looked out at the students, and I said, do not ever allow anyone to call you the quarantine generation. 
to slap their face. <laughs> um, do not ever allow yourself to be defined by what you do not have and what you have missed out on. We have a, we, I could have written a book about resiliency 25 years ago and it would have been needed. It is not my book, but the concept is desperately needed now because there are still people thinking about what they have lost out on. And ladies and gentlemen, it's real. So I'm not dismissing the, the loss and the grief and the challenges and the change that we've had. But oh my goodness, resilient people make a choice to recover. And if, and if you have the living hope and the bright lights and, and the peace and, and the indescribable gift and the authority and the living hope and everything else that, that we could shout out all of his names, then we don't have an excuse. And, and, I, don't, and you know, I don't care if you like me, I'm leaving. Um, <laughs> now, Chris, I'm in your church tomorrow. I want you to like me. And anybody else in his church, if you don't like me, don't come tomorrow. Because um, I, I don't need you there. Um, but thanks for laughing. Resiliency starts as a choice, and then it becomes a learned ability. And then it becomes a part of our character. We don't even have to think about it anymore. You know, when a child learns to walk, you walk into the living room and your child, eight, nine, ten months, is holding on to a hopefully stuffed, comfortable, safe chair. And you're so excited. You don't say, oh, wait, sit down a few months. You're probably not ready. And then you wait and you pray, oh, the day is coming, maybe before she's 12 months old. And when you walk into the room and you see your child, like, not holding on to anything, and just kind of doing that little shaky-wobbly kind of a thing, you're like, come to mama, right? Come to dada. You kneel down and you lift out your hands and you smile and you yell, get the camera. And then you expect an attempt. And when your child falls down, you don't go, bad boy. You would not even call that a mistake. That is progress toward an expected goal. You don't say, wait three years until you're perfect. You could hurt yourself. You say, do you want to try again? Let's try again. Like you're a part of it. Let's us try again, you know. And you pick up your child and you steady his feet or her feet, you know, and you step back a few feet and you smile. Come to Dada, you can do it. <gasps> Bad boy, you fell again. No, 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 no. <laughs> See, resiliency, not staying down in the valley, it's a choice, which with practice becomes an ability and then it becomes a part of our character where we do not have to even think about it anymore. You fall down, you get up. You're disappointed, you try again. You're frustrated, you don't expect to be frustrated tomorrow. And there are moments when we're not as healthy as we could be, fatigue and disappointment and things really do hit us, and, and we might walk for a while in the valley. I, it's Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow, it's just a shadow, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for, yeah. You know, Psalm 23 is, he makes me, he guides me, he restores me, you know, he leads me, and then in the valley, he becomes a you. Wow. Valley experiences will happen. And as I said earlier today, if your children, in one of my messages, if your children, your teens, your adults, your spouse, and if you and if me, if we do not learn 
from the valley experiences, we will be immature and we will be targeted and we will give up. But it's when you learn to walk through the experiences that your church may have, that your ministry may have, that your family may have, that you may have at home, work, in the community, school, church, whatever. When you walk through, you gain ground. You gain a, a maturity of character, a richness of life, a story that will now lead others out of a dark place. And of course, spiritual maturity. The, 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 the scripture promises us that. Resiliency requires that we Look for that expectation of progress and growth. Let me propose um, that spiritual resiliency, not giving up on God, not giving up on the church. I'm going to make some suggestions. You can take it or leave it. I believe we as the church, and I think some of you may be actually quite good at this, I think we as the big church, we must get better at teaching the fullness of God. Talking about all of God and teaching all of God. Do you know how many people in our churches sing about the living hope and they don't have a clue what that means? But you do. Praise God. I knew I could do that. And you would have answers for me. I knew that if I would have asked you to do a therefore after, he is faithful. He forgives. He unconditionally loves. You would have had things to say. Amen? You're learned. You love the Lord. You've been in the family for a while. We have got to do a better job from little itty-bitties all the way on up to teaching the fullness of God. Here's why. Got to be careful how I say this. Don't write this down yet. <laughs> um, okay, is God faithful? Okay. If we feel the faithfulness of God has disappointed us, and that's all we know about him, we're done. Do you understand that? If all we know is that God is love, and we think that means he'll let us do whatever we want, because that's how mommy loves us, then when we don't get to do what we want, we what? Give up on God, dismiss God, believe God isn't for us, etc. The more that we know about the God of the Bible, Alpha Omega, Genesis to Revelation, the greater the likelihood we won't give up. And we won't believe he gives up. And that's a powerful combination. So again, when I talk to children and teens and young adults, and when I critique different Sunday school curriculum from different denominations, when I look at my own work, when we do what we do at Celebrate Kids, are we doing a job to teach, not talk about it? Raise your hand if you understand there's a difference between talking and teaching. Okay, thank you. See, we have to teach, which means you explain and you demonstrate and you define and you walk with. The teacher also trains. To train is to make efficient, to make easy, to make automatic. We coach. Anybody, an athlete in here, a former, or a coach, or a piano student? Anybody play the piano? When you were a piano student, when you were a child, you began with the right hand, and you did not get to add the left hand until you were good at the right hand. When I coached um, girls basketball back in the forever ago, my girls were not allowed to run and dribble if they couldn't dribble standing still. 
And if they were right-handed, they were not allowed to learn how to shoot left-handed layups until they were good at the right-handed layups. Coaches divide complex tasks into minuscule pieces, and coaches, good coaches, do not reteach with shame and blame. Good coaches know that this is complex. Christianity might be easy to us. We get it. We love him. We talk to people about, read the Bible. The Bible? Oh, my gosh. I don't like to read. This is a pretty big book. There's a lot of words I don't know. There's one right there. <laughs> to teach, to train, to coach, to be your cheerleader. Go team, go team. Chris, you're a great cheerleader. You're also a really good teacher and coach. I have the utmost respect for you. The cheerleaders are always on the sidelines the whole game. They build their pyramids. They cheer, go team, go. Now, if the Packers are up 31 points over the Minnesota Vikings, the Packer cheerleaders are cheering V-I-C-T-O-R-Y. Your cheerleaders are still there. But if they were cheering V-I-C-T-O-R-Y, fourth quarter, two minutes left, 31 points down, they would look like idiots. If your cheerleaders were even cheering defense, defense, they would look pretty stupid. Really good cheerleaders change the cheer when evidence requires it. Do you know that a really hard thing that a child hears is you can do it when they have no proof they can? So to say to a 36-year-old woman who's new to the faith, oh, you'll be able to understand this. What makes you think so? If you have evidence, say it. Hey, say this after me. Evidence doesn't lie. Yeah, I know you can do this because. It's really similar to last week's verse. And you proved that you did that. And you actually told me that you were motivated to do it because the more that you got that verse into your spirit, the more that you remembered it in the hard time and you were blessed by that. I'm not asking you to memorize verses that are irrelevant or too difficult. Am I making sense to you? I'm, I'm kind of rambling, but I just, to teach the fullness of God, to be a teacher, trainer, coach, cheerleader, oh, and by the way, <laughs> let me complete this, be a referee. Blow the whistle. Call foul, foul. Call sin, sin. You're in the right, to an extent, the way that you call sin, sin. But again, back to something I've said a few times today, we have to say yes to the yes things and no to the no things, and we don't owe anybody an apology. Now, you do owe an apology if you come across as unloving and gruff and you know, not concerned and all that, but again, we, we have a standard that we know from our life and from God's truth is, is a worthy standard. And so we can be the referee. And here's what I, what I know to be true. If you teach, train, coach, and cheer, you won't have to referee much. And when we have to referee a lot in the church, stand up, come on, stand up, keep going. When we have to referee a lot, we haven't taught well. Take it or leave it. I don't, again, I'm leaving. It's okay. Another principle of spiritual resiliency, you know, teaching the fullness of God. God is faithful, 
therefore he, fill in the blank, and God is faithful, therefore I, fill in that blank, to teach who God is and who we are in response to God, in relationship with God, can help them so much. And now I want to say this to you, and I do, I'm so grateful to be here and kind of experimenting with some of these ideas. I am not a fan of religious rituals. Not a fan of religious rules. I am not a fan of legalism. I grew up beginning to be introduced to the things of God and I would kind of check them off my list. Anybody with me? I prayed, good girl. I read more than one verse with concentration, not being distracted. Check it off, good girl. Um, I, I worshiped, good girl. I, I gave some money, good girl. I didn't complain to my dad, good girl. I gave some money, good girl. Um, I remembered it was going to be communion, so I, I prayed on the way to church that, <laughs> you guys with me? Raise your hand if that's like relevant in any way, shape, or form. How many of you have people in your churches who, you know, still, you know, I worshiped and I prayed and I read and I memorized and I, you know, I showed up. Now, better than nothing, right? Better than nothing. In my church in Fort Worth, our pastor doesn't want us to call those things reading the word, memorizing the word, being devoted to the word, praying, worship, giving, tithing, communion, service, rest, Sabbath. He doesn't want us to call those disciplines, Christian disciplines. They're not rules and rituals, but he doesn't want us to call them Christian disciplines because he says you should not be disciplined. You, don't, you shouldn't have to be disciplined to do them. Why do we do those things? Because we're in relationship with our Father. All of those things that we do in the church are connected points, amen? All those things we do, we do because we are in relationship with Jesus Christ. We don't, you worshiped with integrity and truth not to check it off a list, but because you love him so, and you were communicating your passion, your thanksgiving, your gratitude, and your joy, and your peace, and your commitment, and your submission. Amen? All that we do, I pray, is a commitment of relationship. If we raise up generations who do what they do to become who they are, they will be resilient. If we teach them to do these things because it changes who they are, they will be resilient because they're going to be changed from the inside out and that will not be robbed from them if they stay committed. You guys with me here? In my church in Fort Worth, we are taught that at the end of the first prayer of the day, do not say amen. Because prayer is, in our church, we define it as an ongoing, long conversation with your best friend. It's biblical. So we don't say amen. Because we want to stay in a prayerful fellowship with our Lord and Savior, the King of the universe, and our best friend. So I will sometimes begin my second, third, fourth prayer of the day, Hello, God, it's me again. And I have to be careful if I'm doing that in public that somebody doesn't misinterpret that as a little bit too casual. I know God is on the throne. I know God is my authority. But I also have read the word of God that says he is my friend. 
And I want to stay in what? Continual fellowship with him. Why? Because I'm in a relationship with him. I'm not obligated to do something. We don't have to perform for him. Oh, praise Jesus. If we could get better at this, the fullness of God and the relational activities. In our church, we call them relational activities. And I would, when I, again, minister with children, what of the activities ministered to you the most this morning? Oh, worship Dr. Kathy. I just felt his presence. Dr. Kathy, the relational activity of learning from the word inspired me so. Dr. Kathy, the relational activity of prayer gave me so much hope. To ask our children and our teens and our young adults at the end of the day, not like, were you a good girl or what did you do today for God, but how did you respond to what God did for you today? That our resiliency would be birthed in our desire to relate in our understanding of who God is. We have people giving up on church. Pastor didn't remember my name. Pastor talked about money. I had a word from the Lord that we would sing a song, and we didn't sing it. Who made you the worship leader? I mean, I have to be really careful with my tongue sometimes. Pray for me. Um, I think I mentioned in, in one of my um, earlier workshops that we have generations who are treating prayer like Amazon Prime or an ATM. Instant access to what they want now, the way they want it now, for their benefit now. Let me ask you a question. I'm going to be brave here. Would you raise your hand if you've prayed and not received the answer you wanted immediately or soon? Just would you raise your hand? Yeah, thank you. Let me ask you another question. Have you ever worshipped and not experienced the closeness of God? Would you raise your hand? Thank you. Have you ever read the word of God, the life letter, love letter, from your creator to you? Have you ever read it and not gotten anything from it? Would you raise your hand? Have you ever served and not felt great about it? Not in your church. I meant like somewhere else. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Children tell me that, and again, I celebrate kids. I, we do a lot with families. I do a lot up here in education. We'll be doing that up at Chris's church tomorrow night. Uh, but to all of you, no matter the age group you work with, if we do not admit to our people that we go through dry spells, they will run from God when they do. Based on the interviews I've done for the new book that I've written, the, uh, watching you worship, the assumption is that you never don't experience God. Some of your children, if I were to interview them, and I won't, would say to me, I don't have permission, would say to me, my dad always gets a word from God when he reads the Bible. But Dr. Kathy Lady, I read it and I don't get a thing. So I'm not a good Christian or God doesn't love me like he likes my dad. You guys understand what I'm saying here? One of the ways that I think we establish a resilient congregation, a resilient assembly, a resilient youth group, a resilient children's ministry volunteer team and children 
is that we are honest to declare that God is faithful and God is alive and God is a living hope and God is good and God is fill in the blank. And yet there are times when there are dry bones and there is a valley longer than I would have wished and deeper than I would have wished for. Think when we're honest, but they see us push in. Like, let me ask you another question. Like, after a church service that really didn't meet your needs, how many of you went back the next Sunday? I mean, come on, really? How many of you went back the next Sunday? That's low participation, people. All right, let me ask you this question. How many of you, you know, after reading a section of the Word of God and not really having a need met, not really having something, you know, light up for you, how many of you read again the next day or later that day? Yeah, of course we did. Because we know it's worth it, right? Because we've lived long enough and been strong enough to see it there. So that's what I really wanted to start out with. That's a, that, that maybe feels like a, a long start. But I, I really want you to know that um, this idea of resiliency, of, of um, bouncing back and walking out and not giving in to frustration, not letting discouragement define us, that it's more important to me in the church than it is with academic or character or obedience issues in the family. And we can do that. That's on us. That we admit that we have fallen down, but God has rescued us. We admit that there are parts of the scripture that confuse us, but we don't feel stupid. I hope you don't. I just hope you go, well, that was confusing. See, that was confusing is better than I was confused. Now, I was confused is okay, but am I making sense to anybody? Oh, to be so careful of what you own that maybe you shouldn't be owning. Let me um, say a few other things if I could, and I can because I have the microphone. So I was mentioning to you that you should teach, train, coach, cheer, and referee. That is actually in the book, Start With the Heart. If you've been kind enough to buy my books, thank you. I also want to say that we need to teach resiliency and we need to model it. You do, I think it's very valuable for you as a pastor in the pulpit, as a choir master, as a, as a teacher of youth or children to say, man, I've had a hard week and it was so tempting to deny my sin and pretend as if it wasn't really a big deal. But boys and girls, let me tell you what I decided to do instead. I think we need, I, think, I, I believe that vulnerability increases your authority, it does not decrease it. I think that when you are human, kids tell me all the time, they're so perfect, I can't admit to them when I'm not. Because they won't understand, they won't know how to help me. They also say things like, they've never apologized to me, Dr. Kathy. Is that because they think they're perfect? Or is it because I'm just a kid? <laughs> if a kid says to me, they've never apologized to me, is it because I'm just a kid? I will come find you, and we will have a discussion, conversation, a loving chat. <laughs> we'll share, a, well, we won't share a cup of coffee, but we'll have one. Um, yeah, so I do think that that whole, you know, teach, coach thing, but let, me, let me share something else with you. Teach it, model it. Talk about it. Words have real power. Um, those of you that were in my technology seminar agreed with me there that I gave you an understanding that you knew was true, but you didn't have the language for it. I gave you language. Now you can have a conversation, and that's powerful. So when you see somebody in your flock being resilient, tell them that. You can please say thank you. We don't thank people enough. 
for showing up and for doing the hard things and for being vulnerable and transparent and attempting to memorize the scripture when they don't even consider themselves good readers. And then we say things like, you know, you were, you're trying again, you're learning to be resilient. I'm really excited because resilient people have a better future. Well, what do you mean by resilient? Well, you were willing to try again and not give up and give in. I'm proud of you for trusting yourself and me and the God of the Bible. The word resilient, when, when you use words, you draw from them. I'm going to prove it. Thank you for your eye contact. I actually meant to tell you this earlier today. No matter where I look, I've got eye contact in the front and the back and the left and the right, even if I look way over here. Look at that. So, yeah. How many of you, when I said thanks for the eye contact, popped your head right up and looked at me? Could I see your hands? Yeah, yeah. And how many of you, if I was looking over here and you were looking at me, were really mad thinking, come on, look at me because I'm looking at you, right? Specific language draws from people. The word is powerful. So when I say to the people in my flock, I'm, and from the pulpit with a microphone, I'm grateful that you're back. Thanks for being resilient and not giving in and giving up. And to say to a mom who's going through a divorce, a, a parent who's lost a child, a, a, a man who's lost a wife, a, a person who's lost a job, a kid who's lost a, a soccer team because he didn't make the traveling team, to look them in the eye perhaps and say, man, I'm proud of you for being here and wanting more from God even though there's been a season of disappointment. You're being resilient. It's powerful to use the right language. I also want to recommend that you correct it and affirm it. So I'm saying affirm it, compliment them and thank them for it, and correct them if they're not. How many of you know people who are not resilient? Could you raise your hand? Okay, so some of you quickly have already thought of people, uh, men and, and women and, and young people who are giving in and giving up and being defined by what they cannot do. Correct them. In God, all things are possible. No, don't be flippant. They got to know God for that to make sense, right? Evidence doesn't lie. What's the evidence that in Christ you can do all things? What's the evidence that God strengthens you in times of need? What's the evidence that when we are weak, he is strong? To share that with them. You know, trust is a key. When I look at the research on resiliency and what would cause people to want to try again, to want to bounce back, to want to come forward, to want to ask for help, trust is a key. And one of the ways that you gain trust is by your vulnerability and your authenticity, by taking appropriate responsibility for your part of the problem. Trust, security, firm foundation, without security and trust, very little can happen that is good. And if you do not, as a church leader, volunteer, whatever, parent, grandparent, spouse, whatever, if you do not take appropriate responsibility for your part of the problem, why would they take their part of the problem seriously? And why would they trust you to honor them when they admit to you that they did lie or they did cheat or that they did rush? Can we humble ourselves and admit that sometimes our instruction is confusing? And that's why they get anxious? Could we admit sometimes that we use words that we think everyone understands? Like we're so flippant. Well, you know there's three different, different definitions of love. And here in this verse, so sort of like, wait, love? Love doesn't always mean love? What in the heck does that mean? I mean, we're, we, we got to be 
We've got to be more careful. And I, I imagine I'm speaking to a lot of really excellent people here, but I'm just going to tell you what I think is true. And, and let me say another thing about resiliency, resiliency, bouncing back, trying again. It requires that we ask for help. Does that make sense to you? I mean, if you think about losses you've had and trauma you've experienced and frustration and disappointment and loss and grief and, and the valley experiences, how many of you did have someone you could rely on that, that walked with you out of the valley, that held the flashlight, that opened the word of God for you? It might have been a child, a parent, a, a spouse, a teacher, a co-laborer in the class. But for us to teach our young people that asking for help is wise. It doesn't mean you're weak and foolish. It means you're actually very smart. Amen and amen? To let them see you ask for help. You have 50-year-olds you have who are new in the faith. They have to know that asking for help is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of growth because they care. Curiosity, which is the only thing that will result in anything new in the brain or the heart. How many of you have parents alive who you can trust? Raise your hand if your parents are alive and you can trust them. Your children should hear you reach out to them. Firm believer. I'm celebrate kids, ignite the family. God ordained the family before he ordained the church. The multi-generational family is extremely important. If your parents are alive and you can trust them, your children, your classmates, should hear you reach out to them. It can be everything from, Dad, how did you choose the brand of refrigerator you bought, to, Dad, have you ever had a season in life when the scripture just seems so boring? I'm stuck, Dad. What have you found works for you when that happens? I need some help. Let your son hear you reach out to your dad. Partly because it's good for you, and the better you are, the better your son is, but partly because when you're that dad's age, don't you want your son reaching out to you? And why would they if they don't see that you continue the family up the tree and down the tree? That's part of resiliency, is asking for help. And so do we in our churches and with our volunteers, do we let them ask without judgment? Oh, it's so easy for them to ask, and then we go, don't you know that already? No, we would never say it that way. That's, um, how many of you know the tone of voice that implies you weren't listening? Like, ladies and gentlemen, I get it. I have the easy job. I tell you what to do and leave. Like, I am no fool. Um, I have the utmost respect for you. Week after week after week, in the trenches, with the lost and the found who are messy. Unconditional love. You know what it means, right? Nothing anyone can do that would cause you to love them less and nothing they can do that would cause you to love them more. Unconditional. Read 1 Corinthians 13 without the marriage analogy. Love endures and never ends and is patient and long-suffering. Love that is unconditional is unconditional, no condition. I love you. The research on resiliency, why would people trust again after a time of disappointment in you or in your church or in the community or in the law or in the politics or in the school or in the whatever? Why would they try again? Because unconditional love allows us to take risks because daddy will still love me. The teacher will still love me. You guys with me here? I mean, love matters. Aren't you grateful for God's unconditional love? 
You know, if God, if every time I talk to God, you know, um, hello, God, it's me again, and I'm so sorry about that critical spirit. Darn it, it just came out again, and, and I didn't mean it. Now, Kathy. Well, now, Kathy, yeah? I mean, I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, whatever the voice of God is. Um, that is the seventh time this month you've come to me with your critical spirit. I would stop going to him. If I felt that I had disappointed God to the extent that when I read the word, he wouldn't be there for me, or that he wouldn't receive my praise and adoration during worship, I'd be a basket case. His unconditional love rules. It's an amazing thing. New mercies every morning. Do we unconditionally love the people we serve with, the people who serve us? the people who come in on a Sunday morning and a Wednesday night and a wherever time you serve? Because it's what allows us to risk. Does that make sense? Because if I try something new and fail and make a mistake and make my teacher look foolish or I look foolish or I embarrass somebody, will my teacher reject me? Why would I take a risk if I thought my teacher might reject me? Making sense? So unconditional love. I'm going to challenge you. One of the examples I use for parents that often gets an audible gasp, and I don't say that to force you to give me one. I'm comfortable. Um, but here's the thing. I think that if at 10 in the morning you promised a bike ride to your son later that day, and at noon he disappoints you, you still go on the bike ride at 3. Because if you don't, your love is conditional. If you say to your class, we're going to end our time together with that really fun challenge game that we learned last week. And two minutes later, you know, some kid acts out or they spill their milk on purpose or just something horrific happens. You still play the challenge game at the end of class because your word is your word and your love is your love and their behavior should not change that. Now, there are consequences for their choices. That's a whole nother hour lecture. However, I hope I'm making sense. Raise your hand if I am. Look at you. Man, you're so teachable. So much fun. Let me share with you another concept about resiliency that I think is relevant this afternoon, and I'll probably close with, with this. I said probably. Don't take that to the bank. Um, <laughs> But I, I want to say this to you, and I am wrapping up. One of the things that I want you to consider in your ministry at the church is that, well, let me ask you this, because it was fun before. Would anybody bravely, like, I don't have a red pen. I have an idea, but I really don't have a red pen. How do you define mistake? Would anybody be able to, and there's more than one answer, how would you define mistake? Something that did not turn out the way that you intended it to. A lesson not learned. Doing something and regretting it. An error in judgment. Yeah, not meeting the expectation that you set out for. Those are great definitions. Guess how children define mistake. I am bad and I am stupid. 
Absolutely. I mean, that's, a, that's based on poll research and things. You know, some of them would say that they didn't complete an assignment. But for the most part, children, now, and I wonder about adults who are like children new in a church, right? Their, their chronological age is adult. Their spiritual age is childlike. And they're striving to pray without ceasing. They're striving to know the word and retain it. They're striving to worship like you do. And they're watching you thinking, what in the heck? I thought I loved God, but that lady loves God. Um, like, some of you are really intimidating. Um, when I first moved to Fort Worth and traveled with Dave Reaver to uh, some of your churches, oh, what a dream experience. Whew. Because um, it wasn't my experience at that point. Um, yeah. Mistake. I wonder if in our churches it would be worth having that discussion as, as, a, as a staff. Well, how do you view mistake and how do you view, oh, here's one, how do you view failure? failure? By the way, I like the verb failing and not the noun failure. Failure is not fatal or final, but it appears like it might be. But again, I think definitions of words is really an important thing to think about. Ladies and gentlemen, resiliency, choosing to not be defined by what we do not have. Resiliency, choosing to not succumb to the disappointment, defeat, frustration, loss, grief, hate, fear, negativity, but to be resilient, to rise up and walk out and to give God, the church, a husband, wife, kid, teacher, another chance. Because it's worth it. Because God is worth it. Um, amen and amen. So I know that's a different kind of a talk. I, I hope it was beneficial. I think that um, your desire, and I'm going to ask the keyboard player um, in the group to make their way back out to stage. My gut is that your desire, having been with you um, yesterday and today, oh, you want to do ministry well. Would that be true? I know you do. You don't want to distract and destroy. You don't want someone to be defeated and to stay down. You want them to give you another chance and the church in general and, of course, the God of the Bible another chance. So for us to remember to teach the fullness of God and the completeness of Christ and the purpose of church, to not be shocked when we're disappointed, to not keep track of wrongs. I could go on and on. There's so many things. But to have hope and optimism that all will be okay. Now, you have been here learning much, not just from me, but from stellar people. And none of us want you to go home full up doing nothing for it. What a waste of time we have had. I end all of my podcast episodes with three questions. What have you learned? So what? What difference will it make? And now what? What can you do with it? So I wonder if I could ask you to begin to think about the half a dozen or so gold nuggets. Now, I, I hope there's actually more than that, but none of us want you so overwhelmed that you do nothing. Amen? Oh, what a waste. I pray if you've taken notes, you'll refer to them and you'll 
talk with someone about them, but maybe for the five or six golden nuggets that you're looking forward to applying in the future, what have you learned and how would you explain that? What have you learned? I learned that, fill in the blank, so what? What difference can that make? Or what difference will that make? Be hopeful and optimistic. And then to answer the question, now what? What am I going to do? Let me remind all of you as you keep reflecting on what the Lord has taught you here that your teaching ministry at your church, your volunteer recruitment and leadership, your pastoral care, your Chi Alpha work, it's all public with a history, which is why change is challenging. We know change is possible or Jesus would not have come. But I want to say to all of you, that how, so let me just ask you just boldly, how many of you have thought of a few things you want to implement differently at home or at church? Raise your hand. Yeah. So the, to do that, you're going to have to forsake the past. In fact, Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, says, Take off your old self, which is corrupted by its deceitful desires. Verse 24 says, Put on your new self, created in God-like righteousness, to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And the middle verse says, renew your mind. Change is defined by God himself as the taking off of the old and the putting on of the new. We do that when we move from doubt to faith and unsaved to saved and heathen to warrior and sinner to saints. Amen? But it's a daily commitment, amen, to move beyond that which is old. So for you to take what you've learned here from the Lord and implement it successfully in your fellowship, you have to know what to change out of and what to change into. So I will not do this anymore. Instead, I will do that. I will not think this way anymore. Instead, I will think that way. I will not feel this anymore when I'm disappointed. Instead, I will feel this when I'm disappointed. To take off the old and to put on the new and to maybe invite the people you love on the journey with you. Children and teenagers tell me all the time, they'll go, lady, you taught my parents a lot, I can tell. <laughs> or sometimes moms and dads will come home from conferences and the kids will be like, did you read another book? <laughs> so here's what I want to recommend. I wonder if some of us need to stand before our people we serve and tell them the changes we hope to make. Kids tell me, Dr. Kathy, lady, if I had the rule book, I would be successful. I mean, can any of you manage, can any of you just imagine playing a sport and not knowing the rules? I'm going to guess you would not play. So if you have decided that your class needs to be different in some way, your one-on-one -on -one mentorship of volunteer leaders need to be different in some way, your teaching needs to be different in some way, maybe, maybe, you tell people. You sent me to the Equip Conference, and I'm excited to let you know that God spoke there, and we are going to make some changes here. We is such a powerful pronoun. So have you committed to some things today that are going to be different? Why don't you stand if, stand if, you've thought of something you want to pass on to someone, Stand up. If you have thought, if you've learned something you want to pass on to someone, 
why don't you stand up if you have a question that you're going to keep wrestling with. You know, some of the teach, somebody who taught you or somebody at the lunch truck said something and you're noodling that. So by standing, you're saying, you know, Dr. Kathy, I want to wrestle with this thought and I want to get an answer. And you could also stand, if you haven't already, if there's at least one idea that you're going to learn to implement well. Um, this is now on you. We teach, you learn, you apply. I'm not worried about it because you got God on your side. You know, it's easy... It's easy to learn. It's the commitment to apply it that's harder, I think, right? So would you just honor the Lord and don't lie to him? Would you raise your hand and don't take this flippantly? Would you raise your hand if you're committed to work to be the change agent that you want to be? Just raise your hand by, and, that, and that's saying, I learned something here and I'm going to commit Father God. So Father God, you're watching your people love you so in their response. They've stood in honor of the teaching they've received and their hands are raised many, most, maybe all, to say that I am committed to success because I'm, I'm a learner and I take these opportunities seriously. So, Father God, I want you to honor your people who are expectant and joyful and hopeful, and they do so want to honor you. So we're asking you, Father God, collectively as a group, would you strengthen us? Would you get us out of our own way? Would you introduce us to those who can walk with us, mentor us, show us who at our fellowship we can invite to enter into the process. And Father God, I want to just boldly ask that if these people are teaching tomorrow, would you prepare the kids for something new? That'd be so cool if the teens and the children and even the adults are not shocked and offended by some new idea. But instead, just play the game. And Father God, you're so good to us. Help us be faithful in return, resilient, in our choices, honoring. Uh, Father God, just send us out of here committed to commit, expecting to succeed, hopeful and optimistic, not in ourselves, but of course in you. Father God, if there's someone who needs to do work at the altar, we can, we can turn this front of the room, of course, into an altar to honor you. And certainly if any of you want to come forward for a time of prayer and just uh, even a greater dedication than the standing up and the raising of the hand. Feel free to come on up. I think we're going to worship. Let's end our time in worship. God bless you all. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.